This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. Cooper Milner says, nice sermon, big fella. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the kind of feedback we're looking for. That's awesome. Okay. Um, okay, so we have a question on okay. Instagram, which is, uh, would it be good to do the supper over Instagram? And that is something that we've, we've talked about. So, hi, Marco. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do you want to go first or do you want me to? Uh, maybe you help state the question more okay. specifically. So it says, uh, would it be good to do the supper over Instagram? Um, and then we also have another question, which is why is it important that people be gathered together in order to take communion? So maybe I can take the question about, uh, Instagram and then you can take the question about, um, uh, why it's important for, yeah group, for us to be together as a community. So, uh, one of the main reasons we've talked about not taking it, um, I, I can name a couple of reasons why we've talked about not doing it over uh, Instagram or over YouTube because there are, um, there's a couple things that we think are prerequisites for taking the Lord's Supper. Um, we think that, uh, like Ben said, it doesn't have a magical power. Uh, like, <laughs> sorry, all my kids are running in <laughs> from outside church. Um, we don't think it has magical powers where, uh, it becomes something, um, that changes, uh, in the sense that it becomes, I'll, I'm, I'm so distracted. I'm going to help, I'm going to go help out there. You, you answer the question okay. about communion. Um, yeah, I think where Austin was going with that is we, we don't think that it, uh, it has magical power and, um, so, um, we think that the presence of the other people around us uh, is part of the sign. Um, the sacraments are uh, signs that are visible and tangible and, and physical of a spiritual reality behind that. And so the sign of baptism is obviously water, and the sign of the Lord's Supper is the bread and the wine. But um, unlike baptism, part of the sign of the Lord's Supper is also the gathered people, because it's a supper. And so, um, it's not just, if you just like injected um, a piece of bread and some wine into your body, um, that would be a more magical view of it. And we're saying that it's part of this, it's a dynamic drama, which involves the people being there to serve one another. Yeah, I think that's 
It's really helpful to think about the idea of it being injected into you because it, it gives it a sense that, um, so th this is tangential a little bit, but I think, um, I missed the first part of your answer, but we, one thing that I hear sometimes is people say, why do you do it every week? Oh yeah. Um, because maybe it's not as special. Yes. And some churches don't do it every week. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that that's an interesting perspective because for me, it's become more special, if you want to use that word, to do it every week. I've mm -hmm. elevated what it is. Uh, but at the same time, I think that when people say um, it doesn't feel as special, what they're saying is um, I don't experience the same emotion that I'm hoping to conjure up by taking, um, by taking mm -hmm. the Lord's Supper. Which is really about like your internal life instead of being aware of the fact that in Christ you're actually being adopted into the family of God. Um, and the suppers is really an example of that. There are tons of individualistic things that Christ does with us, but the supper is not one of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's that's one of the other yeah. reasons that we, uh, that we do that. Another thing that... Um, people debate is whether first Corinthians 11 when Paul says that we should discern the body whether it's talking about discerning the people around us or whether mm. we should be discerning ourselves as we are set in that body and I uh, tell me if you disagree but I, I think you and I agree that we think it's the second interpretation um, where the community which is that it's not just our that we're right. we're not just discerning that we're part of the body, yeah. But it's actually reflecting on our own sin. Um, is that how? Well, you Well, the context it? of that is that the Corinthians, um, the the wealthier Corinthians, were eating a meal before the poorer ones got there, and so mm -hmm. that was not the body of Christ. That's not the way the body operates. And so Paul is saying, you're not aware of what. You you know this is not the body of Christ that's happening right here. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that fits what you're saying, right? Yeah, it does. Well, I think it complements it. I guess what I'm saying is that there's there's two parts of it. Um, one is that you you just can't do. So if you've ever done our small group training, I always quote this Bonhoeffer quote where he says that uh, confessing our sins to one another is the destroys the last stronghold of self justification. So what that means is that it's easy for me to sit here and just say by myself late at night, this is what I, I know I'm okay on this or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you're around other people in church, you're more aware of what's going on in your heart, both beautifully and in corruption. And so that's part of that discernment of being together and not just that we take it, um, separately that there's something in um being around singing during the liturgy and so that we've kind of like i i started to mention before there's these prerequisites that we think are biblical which is that um we think that uh the lord's supper should be set within a liturgy mm -hmm. because the lord himself set it out jesus set it out and so uh we want it to be set with the reading of scripture uh, and then in in First Corinthians, Paul is constantly telling them to be discerning about confessing their own sin when mm -hmm. they come to the table. So we want to have that liturgy, and those things, in a sense, can be satisfied over the internet. To get to the Instagram question, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we can we can be discerning about our own sin. We can confess. We can set it within liturgy. We can set it within with preaching. And then the other thing is that we think that uh, that when you get into the pastoral epistles, mm-hmm. uh, there's teaching that says that that you need to have ordained people. To uh, it, it doesn't say. Now make sure that you have a seminary trained mm-hmm. person with a master's of divinity who's been ordained by a presbytery. <laughs> it, doesn't. it doesn't say that. But what it does say is that there's some thing, there's some mechanism within the church where, where there's wisdom across time and space where God says, I want you to have some people who are held accountable by the community and I want the community to choose those people um, and so when Ben and I do the Lord's Supper it's not because we're more qualified but it is because we've been told you're in charge of this so so please be trained and thoughtful about the way you bring it before these people not because you're better but because you're trained in thinking about it so those are the things that we could satisfy mm-hmm. because Ben could do the words of institution, he could take this cup, he could pour it, you know, take the that pitcher, pour it into that chalice, break some bread. You could have the same bread in your home and the same wine or grape juice in your home. So you could have all of that. Um, but uh, but the thing that, and, and the other thing that, to Ben's point about the magic of it, is it wouldn't be it doesn't it's not like Ben's hands are have a power that transform it so your bread wouldn't be mm-hmm. uh the same. But um on the flip side, uh we don't think that it satisfies that that element of actually being physically gathered with one another. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts off of that? Um the PCA I think wisely uh, allows someone who is licensed to preach, um, but not ordained. So you, you first you get licensed, uh, and then after you get licensed, you can get ordained. So ordination takes more time, and uh, you have to be called to be ordained. Uh, license being licensed is the first step. So when you're licensed, you can preach, but you can't administer the sacraments. So I think what the PCA is saying is it takes a level of discernment even beyond the discernment of calling someone to preach an authoritative sermon mm-hmm. to actually administer these mysteries because they are considered mysteries uh, in every denomination. They're considered mysteries. Um, there is a lot more debate in the history of the church over the sacraments than there is over preaching. I think preaching is in some ways straightforward, um, but this requires a level of discernment um, beyond that of preaching a sermon. There were some texts that got pushed up there. That yeah, I... yeah. So a couple of questions um, that I saw were, uh, has the PCA given any guidance on this? Um, another one is, uh, oh, do you serve communion to your families? That's a great question. Do we? Um, like person? us personally. Uh, has the PCA offered any guidance? Maybe you can take the family one. I could take the PCA one. There's also one about... And then uh, provide verses. the verses. Uh-oh. Um, about um, ordained people, and I'm I'm looking up some of that. So, why don't you talk about whether we serve uh, to our families? I think that's a great question. Cause yeah, we don't. 
I don't. I, I no, we, we definitely don't. No, <laughs> I mean... No. No, it, that... Why not? Um, why don't you? Uh, we First don't... of all, you would lose your ordination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because... Um, now, that's somewhat, somewhat of a question. Is house church the right model of a church? So if you're... Hmm. If your family was the church that you are a part of, then yes, I would. Um, but I don't think it's a good idea to have a church that is your family. There's something missing, the, the call to others. So if, that, if you're in your family and that's not the whole church, no, definitely not. Because communion is something for the whole church. You don't want people um, celebrating that in these little side groups where people are not informed. Like what if four small groups got together and served the Lord's Supper like because they really liked each other, uh, and maybe every every month they had a special communion service. You just you don't want people um, serving the Lord's Supper apart from the whole gathered group, because it or else it's uh, it's it's not part of the family. Mm-hmm. It's a family meal. So can a church be the size of a home? Yes, but um, hopefully it it wants to include others. So that's why we don't serve it to our family. And then what was the other one? Oh, the PCA. Oh, has the PCA given guidance? Um, yes, the guidance has been uh, not to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, if anything, I would be proud of our church because I feel like um, everyone I've talked to is under has said something along the lines of, well, obviously we're all, you know, not doing communion right now. Yeah. And I love that we, we have not assumed that that is true. Um, we've been pushed, you know, actually, uh, I brought to our elders, I I had a conversation with another pastor in town who just said, I just want to pray for whether or not the Lord's calling us to this, Mm -hmm. which is not really how Presbyterians, it was not a Presbyterian pastor. And that's not really how we talk about, we talk about like, you better not, you better (laughs) not do it wrong. And, and I liked that this pastor was thinking, like, what is the Lord calling us to? Should I have an imagination? And so yeah. we've continued to say, should we? But we thus far have not gotten to a place where we're pushed past that. Uh, this is a good opportunity, real quick as a side note, to just explain the polity of the PCA, which is that um, our denomination is really a collective that agrees with the Westminster Confession. And then we wrestle with how we interpret that together. Uh, but it's not hierarchical. It's voluntary. So um, we're not bound to do anything unless all the rest of the churches think that they're saying, like, man, you guys are outside of the mm-hmm. the bounds of what the PCA believes is biblical. Um, so in that way, it's it's kind of beautiful because it means that we're tethered to our belief in the Westminster Confession. But, like, there isn't a person, there's no supervisor over Ben mm-hmm. and myself or our elders which differs from other Presbyterian denominations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah. grassroots denomination. Yeah, so the the authority is concentrated in the local yeah. church, and so that's beautiful because it forces us to collaborate with one another and ask mm-hmm. each other, not just ask you know what the home office thinks, but like we're talking with each other, with other churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we gonna do? What do we think is right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the other questions, well, off of the family yeah. one, maybe you could just real quick talk about uh, weddings and the Lord's Supper. Oh yeah, so in, in some similar. in some weddings, um, people want to serve the Lord's Supper, 
And um, sometimes they'll want to have just the couple have it. And I've, I say no because, again, if it's not um, the whole body gathered together, um, then it's got that exclusive feel that it's the opposite of that. I mean, that, the, exclusive, the exclusive thing, the very thing going on in Corinth when Paul says, you're not discerning the body. So um, I understand the impulse of a couple that would want to just have the two of them have it, but um, it violates that inclusive aspect of the Lord's Supper. Now, I have done weddings where everyone is invited to come and partake, um, and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's still not necessarily like a, a church um, where everybody has made vows and are members together, so um, I don't think it's quite the same as a church service, but there is some sense in which the, the people who are Christians there um, are taking it together. Uh, I think at a revival, uh, a big revival meeting or a Billy Graham crusade or something like that, or Franklin Graham crusade or whoever is doing the crusade, um, I, I don't think it's necessarily that wise because um, you're just going to have all these people and they're not really covenanted together at all. They don't, they don't have relationships with each other necessarily at all. I don't think it should be prohibited in a setting like that, but I think there's the, the, obviously the, the best case scenario is a group of people who have made um, these covenants with each other, who are closely in relation with each other, and who, um, who are sharing communion with one another, like mystically, not just with Christ, but with each other. And you're looking at verses for the... Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know if this is appropriate to share, but I did try to look up if ordination was in my, in my in in the back. Well, I'm not gonna say it, but there's some funny <laughs> other words there. Um, yeah. So here here's how I understand it. Just trying to think through some of these verses. Um, the first one that came to mind for me is James, uh, three one, which says, uh, "Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers." For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, I think the first thing I would say is, uh, we got a long one there. Maybe you can read it to oh, yourself yeah. and, then, uh, and okay. then remember it if it moves up. Um, so, the, uh, uh, with the James verse, I think that, there, that James, in the book of James, it's being made clear that there's, some calling within the church for people to be teachers that it doesn't say pick the best ones mm-hmm. i mean there are other parts that i'm going to allude to that say you have to live up to some certain uh character mm-hmm. uh, things uh but uh really it's sort of like taking an oath as a police officer um or as a physician um thinking about a a police officer you're sworn to protect people uh, as a physician, you are uh, called to do no harm. So in a similar way, we're just being called into a training and a thoughtfulness about our teaching that is uh, similar to those in a spiritual sense. Um, knowing that like you can hurt people or you can put them in harm's way by teaching them the wrong things. Uh, and I think we've all seen that churches that teach things that harm people uh, or or teaches that churches that teach things that are harmful 
uh, don't just pollute how someone's brain works. Mm-hmm. They actually affect their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because of that, uh, we think that uh, there should be some, some calling to teachers. So that's James 3. Uh, if you go to Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the qualifications of elders. Mm-hmm. And so we think that um, it's really important to uh, have people... How do you judge what those qualifications are? Well, we, we think it's implied in that, that that's not being done by the person themselves. Mm-hmm. That that's being done by the community. And so uh, in that way, we think that there must be some people who, it shouldn't be everyone teaching. Uh, and the community should set apart some people. And then it should be, uh, like it says, especially in Titus, it kind of goes on to talk about like, uh, this is what happens if you, this is what happened to this one guy in Crete who didn't uh, uh, do a good job with this and you should rebuke him. Uh, and, and so for us, it's really just this, when we get up to preach, it's not because um, we're, we're a good public speaker. I mean, one thing that, that uh, Ben and I'll joke about is that, uh, you know, there are people, people who come out of seminary uh, might know more about the Bible and they might be one of the worst public speakers in their church. But that's not why we're ordaining them, you know, and we pray that the Lord will grow their public speaking skills mm-hmm. so that they will be a winsome communicator of the gospel. But that's not a qualification, a killer public speaker, no, a good sense it. of humor, a good storyteller, not part of the qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is part of the qualifications is that a community of people says, we want you to be that teacher. And then the last thing is just if you read through first Corinthians, especially you just see that there is a sense of discernment that is really important because I think when we read the Last Supper, uh, you think of Da Vinci's painting, mm-hmm. and you think of like movie portrayals, and you think, "Wow, oh, this is beautiful people breaking bread," and there's this beautiful drama, and then Paul just brings the hammer down in First Corinthians because you realize, like, "Whoa, this is not just a meal. This is something way deeper. People are if they do it improperly." are bringing judgment upon mm-hmm. themselves is what Paul says. And that's uncomfortable, but that's that's just what it says. And we don't pick and choose parts of the Bible. We read them in concert. And so we think, okay, Jesus is saying we need to do this every time. And that part where Paul talks about the judgment, he's actually, he actually quotes Jesus' actual words from the Last Supper. So we know that he's tying mm-hmm. those two things together. There, There's very few parts in the New Testament where the words line up so closely between Paul and a gospel. I mean, the gospel writers were using each other, but but um, Paul didn't really, we think, have access to the um, to the written words yeah, of the gospel. He wrote them earlier. And yeah. so, what's fascinating about that is that means that that language of the words of institution from the Last Supper were carried down mm-hmm. to Paul. So we just think. There's something real serious here that combines James is saying like, hey, you better be careful if you're teaching. First uh, Timothy and Titus talking about this is what it means to be called into that teaching position. And then First Corinthians saying, okay, teaching is tied to the Lord's Supper. So I saw a couple other great questions. I'm going to let you have this fun one. Why did Jesus serve Judas communion at the Last Supper? <laughs> Um, I would just, uh, to underline what Austin said about first, about Titus, 
an order. Uh, Paul tells Titus the very reason he left him in Crete was to put what he had done there, what Paul had done, in, in order, to put order on it. And he said, do this by appointing elders in every town. So just to underline what Austin just said about the need for set-aside people who will bring order, and I think especially through the sacraments, because they are the greatest mystery. And then the Judas um, question... <laughs> I have one thought on the Judas question. This is so great. We're getting a lot of questions. There was one of the um, last rites I wanted to answer. Yeah, I saw, I saw that too. Um, the one question I would say about Judas, um, that actually really helped us a couple years ago um, because one of the discussions we've had, so one of the discussions we had around whether or not to serve the Lord's Supper to people Mm-hmm. Uh, was we said, well, what about people who are were under church discipline, which right now there's no one under church discipline in our church. But hypothetically, if someone was under church discipline, how would we prevent them from taking the Lord's Supper? And then we remembered, oh, we've had a discussion about this because there was someone going to our church who we really felt like they were, if they were a member, we would discipline them for mm-hmm. for this choice that they were making in their life very deliberately and that we had been in conversation with them about, but they weren't a member. And so we didn't have any, um, you know, like they had not given us that authority in their life mm-hmm. to speak in that way. We, I mean, we spoke in that way, but we didn't take any agency. But then we started talking, well, what if they were a member and they still took the supper? Would we physically block someone? And historically there are churches that will will box you out. Calvin did. Like John Calvin. <laughs> and and we think that um, the onus is on the person, not the elders. Our, our, mm-hmm. We think that uh, the onus on us is to teach, and the onus on the person is to discern their own ability by having some self-awareness, but also asking their community to speak into that. So that doesn't mean that you're all alone in that, but we think that if you're told you shouldn't and then you choose to that's your choice not not um it's not an uh, a responsibility of us especially because well anyways i think in that case you can see that uh jesus jesus is a little um passive aggressive with judas in the last supper and i think uh you know he says like one of you has betrayed me and um and so i think in many ways, Judas knew whether or not he should be participating or even at that meal. And, uh, does so, it even say whether he took? I don't know. I think it's assumed that he took. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't know if it actually He does say the very that. one that dips his hand. Yeah. Yeah. He so he was there. Yeah. He took it. He took it. Okay. What do you want to take next? Um, there were several, a cluster of questions about, uh, the homebound and last rites. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we have served the Lord's Supper to people in their homes who can't get out, can't get Mm -hmm. to church. Um, and, uh, last rites. So if someone's about to die, then yeah, we would serve them the Lord's Supper too. And, um, those are like really extreme cases where there's no other choice that you could make. Mm -hmm. Uh, if a person, so I think, um, yes, we would do that in those cases of extremity, but 
Question, if a person kind of continued to want us to come to their house and serve them the Lord's Supper, who could potentially make it to church, then I think we would probably not do that. So, there, yes, there are extreme cases where there's, the only way this person's going to get the Lord's Supper is if we bring it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that situation, everyone there, it's, I always like to have more than just the two of us, like maybe three or so. Yeah. And everyone there has to partake. Um, so it's not exclusive. But in, ge- but in general, that, that would not be a practice that I would want to keep up at all or even do too, too frequently. I totally agree. I mean, we definitely want to do that. I think there, um, we, we've even had conversations with folks trying to discern that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so the ultimate is to get together. Obviously, I think this is a really appropriate question because in many ways we're all homebound. Um, and so, uh, we even talked about whether Ben and I would go to people's homes or mm-hmm. something like that. And I think we all acknowledge the uh, strangeness of... I, I don't think you can answer that question completely clearly. There is something paradoxical there. Or perhaps even contradictory. Uh, I think what, we've, what we know and lean into is that historically the church has found that to be an important practice. Mm-hmm. And this is... Uh, we've never had a time like this. Um well, that was one of the questions. Has there been another time like this? Yeah, and I want to answer that. Okay. But before we go there, um, I just want to say that um, we talked about as elders, if this goes on for a long time, um, what would we do? And and one of the things we talked about is that if this were where this differs from those other times, which we'll get to is that we're voluntarily staying in our homes. I mean, voluntarily, Mm -hmm. uh, which is different than like a wartime or a season of persecution. And so in those circumstances, you would find creative ways to honor what the Lord has called us to. And I think that's where we're just not eager to be the innovators and like this is only the fourth week that we've done this and mm-hmm. so that doesn't mean that we don't have aren't called and that's why I think we'll keep wrestling and talking about this but the difference between a you know if we were in a war-torn country or a persecuted church and it was hard to gather I think we would find creative ways you know to take the Lord's Supper and I think in our case, we would argue that, um, well, I guess this is a good transition. I, I don't think we need to take it every week, which I said in my very long video, if you suffered through that or stayed awake. <laughs> it was good. Um, but do you want to answer the question about, I mean, I, the Reformation the comes to mind, but, uh, the you know, yeah. I would love for anyone who knows a lot of church history to send in examples because we don't don't know them all at all. So if you, mm-hmm. if you know in church history, you just go ahead and send that in. Um, I don't, I, the one I know of is the article that you sent about World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know about during the... Do you want to summarize that? I don't even remember all the details, if you remember them. I believe um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a person from the CRC, right, that was writing yeah. that? I remember her main point being it was something that was... Uh, just each pastor had to discern that. Yeah. 
And but I know from the she didn't really go into too much detail historically about World War Two. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the points she was making about World War Two was different pastors did different things. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't there wasn't one clear, obvious answer. But yeah, imagine when the Blitz was happening in London, people were not gathering in churches on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure different, even different Church of England churches were doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And I do think the coronavirus is so different because we could get together. We're doing this not because we're afraid of dying, but because we don't want to hurt other people, mm-hmm. which is a really unusual thing. Um, if there are bombs falling, it's more about you're afraid of your, for your own life. Yeah. But in this case, we're doing this to protect other people primarily. Mm-hmm. But is anyone sending in any? Well, I, I would love to just mention the Reformation um, only because I think it's important that um, we've become habituated as a church with taking the Lord's Supper every week. But it would be really good to remember that there was this time, um, and if you're still Catholic, if you were Catholic today, this would still be true, mm-hmm. um, where people felt this need to take it or else they felt like they were spiritually malnourished. And uh, I think in a sense we are, but I think you would you could argue that um, there's almost a fasting going on, which is what we're talking about, and that's what the Reformers called people to. So during the Reformation, most churches did not take the Lord's Supper they, uh, weekly. They would do it quarterly. And that was to help people understand that like the, the ways that we feast on the Lord uh, are through his word, through preaching. There's something unique in the Lord's Supper that is a means of grace, but, it is, but we are not... Um, it doesn't have a power that we need to... Uh, that we need to chase after, uh, in a way that rather I, it's, you know, it's again, that's another paradox where it's like, should we do it every week? Yes. Um, will, will, are we, um, is it, is something lost them when we don't do it every week? Definitely. Um, but are we, are we like causing unnecessary spiritual harm on ourselves? I think the answer would be no. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, Martin Luther and John Calvin, would agree with that. Martin Luther had an even more Catholic view yeah, of the supper than Calvin and still said, you know, he really believed in consubstantiation, which is that, you know, the body and the blood of Jesus are present in a sense, uh, not in a sense, are present, uh, not in this way that the Catholic church does. Um, but, but, uh, you know, he famously carved, this is my body into a desk saying like, this is, it's tangible. It's really there. And he still said, don't take it every week because we, you need to understand that this is not the way that you actually are infused with grace. It's just the way that you recognize that you have been imputed with Christ's righteousness. Mm-hmm. What'd you get over there? And I'll see what's over here. Um, Salima, has PCA given any guidance? Um, nothing here we haven't addressed. Okay. Somebody did say um, they would like to see Austin and I take it, just the two of us here. Um, this person said they understood why the church isn't taking it as a whole, but they wanted to know why can't Austin and I just take it? Because they would have. They said I'd like to see the sacrament at least visibly um, served, and I would say the answer to that probably goes back to what we were saying about. 
even that would have a bit of the the feel of the private mass to it, um, especially when you throw in the the element of being the two um, teaching elders or two pastors. It would just you know emphasize that idea of um, something different about us or special or exclusive that mm-hmm. others couldn't partake. So that's why I don't think that would be a good idea. I got a really great question over here, which was, would you be willing to offer drive-through communion? And we didn't talk about drive-through communion, but today we talked about the idea of doing communion in small groups. And uh, I think there's two really great well, say more things about to what discuss the, there. What's exactly... Explain more about what you said today. Earlier. Today, earlier today, I, we were talking about doing it in groups of eight, but not in small groups, people's homes, right? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. That, thank you. Good distinction. No, that like in my front yard, mm-hmm. Ben and I could stand there and have people sign up at groups of eight to come. Yeah. Uh, I think what we, what we realized there is that we're still a little bit defeating the reason that we're not taking it in general, which is that. Uh, we're trying to prevent epidemiologically groups of people bumping up against each other and mm-hmm. transmitting the coronavirus to each other for the sake of loving our community. And so I think if if this goes on for longer, you know, we'll keep praying as elders about whether or not that seems like the most faithful way we could do it. But it doesn't, to me... I don't think that like the risk outweighs uh, like we're not at a point where it hasn't been mm-hmm. like one of the things I said is if quarterly is good enough for John Calvin, then I'm fine with us waiting <laughs> a quarter and then we could you yeah. know, keep wrestling if we need to come up with something new. The drive through thing raises back to something we talked about, which is even just the idea of the individual. Um... So another thing that's interesting, I went to a church, the first PCA church I went to was in um say uber eats put it in a doggy bag and i can pick it up like uber eats <laughs> um so i think that that speaks to um similarly to what i was talking about earlier with like the lord's supper being special mm-hmm. um there's there is an individualistic like it's about me and jesus uh, which is a very American um, evangelical perspective that was really born out of like post World War II revivalism that came out of like Young Life, Navigators, Inner Varsity, Billy Graham, which is just about like kind of like the dissolution of the church and it's just about like you experiencing Jesus. And that's just not how biblically god has interacted with people he's always interacted with people in groups mm-hmm. um whether that's the tribes of israel or uh the families of noah adam and eve there's just new testament households new testament households there's just always and a lot of times even if it's families it's like there's immigrants there's mm-hmm. There's, there's people who violate like our worldly understandings of what a group of people even are, um, the alien among us, the foreigners, servants. servants, slaves, yeah, mm-hmm. all that. So um, another quirky thing that I had never thought about was when we went to church in Boston, the first PCA church I went to, they made us talk to each other during the Lord's Supper. So uh, mm. they really wanted us to not have this like 
take your thing and oh, go yeah. and like really see if you could really feel Jesus, just you and him, like get on the phone with Jesus, but really sense that it's like, this is the presence of God mm-hmm. amongst his people in a supper. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that gets into another question, which is whether people could serve it to each other and families. I saw that one in there. Okay. And that's something that we talked about too, is just that a lot of our people, um, there's something in the act where we do believe that people are like supposed to be served it like a meal. And our church is blessed in a great way with a ton of people who live by themselves. And I feel the weight of that. Um, that that's, mm. that's really hard right now. And I think for one thing I wouldn't want as a church to reinforce or remind those folks of that challenge that mm-hmm. they're facing. But also we think that, that that's why the Lord's Supper is the way that it is, is to call us all together and to remember uh, those who are living alone, um, mm-hmm. you know, long term or just short term. So Another interesting thought experiment one of the elders mentioned was uh, he said, I might, I might sometimes watch the video later and uh, our house is such, is such turmoil during it that mm-hmm. I can't, I couldn't even really get to, to understand much of what happened in the service. So I might watch it later. Would I partake of the Lord's Supper then? And that's really pertinent because a lot of churches right now are filming Saturday. Uh, my friend's church in Greensboro is filming Saturday. And so it's not live. And so he, his church was deciding whether to do it. They decided not to, partly for this reason, is because in the video, they would be doing this stuff, but it wouldn't be real time of the people taking the stuff. So I think that just further emphasizes the need for the presence of the people live in time and space together. Hmm. Um... There's a please consider doing a Ben Austin podcast. I've actually thought about. I I don't think we have time to do that, but I would love that because I'll I do it. what what I think a lot of people don't get to see is that um, we laugh together a lot and mm-hmm. um, and uh, we really enjoy. We yeah. have these standing Tuesday meetings that are really great and. Yeah. Um, and it, I kind of thought like I wonder if we could ever capture that. In a podcast? In a, in a podcast. Because, I mean, we'll just be talking about... Oftentimes, I'll ask Ben a question about basketball because I don't understand <laughs> basketball. And then we'll get on to something like... I'll also ask him about... A, a lot of times, I have questions for Ben about hell or <laughs> eschatology. Now that you've read N.T. Wright, though, you've got all that figured out. Yeah. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Getting us both in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if there if there are any more questions. Does anyone else have a question? I've got a closing thought. Um, it looks like, yeah, there's not. Um, I think to I I I thought it was great that you brought up the pre-recorded. Oh yeah. Service because I think that. Um, one of the last things I'll say is that we've wondered as a church at this point uh, whether there is something that God is instructing us towards that um, if we can gather back at Calvary in the next 
two months, mm-hmm. which would be a quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm arbitrarily throwing that out. We haven't talked as a session about whether we're going to wait a quarter or whatever, but I just, that's my yeah. gut feeling that it's like, if, if these wise people were able to do it quarterly, then I feel okay about that for a season, mm-hmm. not as a pattern. Mm-hmm. Then, um, what will that day be like? And I actually thought about that um, when I was this Jesus Bread of Life song that we sung. Um, when it says "Feast of Angels becomes food for the weary and hungry hearts are filled," when you open up your hand, I was thinking all about. I I started daydreaming about this idea of us being back in that sanctuary and thinking. Man, I don't I don't think I could wait the whole service. I mean <laughs> just start it right off. I would just wanna yeah. Um Doggy bags. Just pick up your Yeah. Doggy bag with the Your doggy No, <laughs> no the opposite. I just um I think I just I the last comment I'll make that I, I haven't shared in any of the videos or any of the things, one of the first times that we went to Salem, um I'm sorry I didn't get what permission from Aaron to share this story, but I think you should be okay with it. And forgive me if you're not, honey. Sorry. But um, we were sitting in the front row one of the first times we were at Salem, and Aaron was just overcome emotionally and started crying. During the sermon. Not during the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> it did relate to you, though. Um, but... If you've gone to Salem, uh, I hate admitting this, but if you ever go in my communion line, it's, uh, here's the body of Christ broken for you, man. Dude. For you, for you, sister. If you take the Lord's Supper from Ben, he remembers everyone's name. You know, I couldn't even remember Kate Abishan's name when I was baptizing her child, and I had known her for like eight years. So... Um, Aaron was really overcome by hearing all of those names and thinking at that moment that like on the cross, the Lord Mm. Jesus had all of those people's names just in our tiny church, uh, you know, graven on his hands, Mm -hmm. present in his mind. And until we can, uh, until we're convinced that we need to do it online, I'm just looking forward to that, Mm -hmm. to that day. Amen. You have any closing I'm, thoughts? I'm not that profound. Okay. <laughs> you should leave it with that. Well, do you want to close this in prayer? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for this conversation with our community. And it felt in many ways um, as much together as I felt with our people and our church. And mm-hmm. it's really encouraging just to um, have back and forth and also to be here talking we thank you for this. Um, thank you for the fact that we all, as a, as a church, long for the Lord's Supper. And even more, thank you that you gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And you gave us this gift that who would have ever thought something like this up? Thank you for how physically real you are and how tangible you are. Thank you that you're not an idea. Mm-hmm. And that you're not a philosophy or a worldview, that you're a a man who lived and who gives himself for us. You're still a man. You're still a human being um, of a certain size. 
Thank you that you feed us on yourself. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, good night, y'all. Thank good night. you.